Um, guys, it's awesome to be here. I, I, I really love the fact that I get to preach at Grace City Church. Um, we've, we've kind of heard a lot about you guys, what's going on. Um, we've kind of established a bit of a friendship with Simon and Shirley, um, which is really cool. You guys have an amazing pastor in Simon. Um, I think you guys would agree. Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. He's really a good guy. He's a, he's a, a strong leader, and he loves the Lord, and you guys are in good hands. Um, yeah, so Simon did ask me to um, speak about how the gospel relates to health and wellness. Um, I mean, there were kind of a few iterations of what it could be, health and wellness, or disease, how it relates to illness. Um, how it relates to suffering. Um, but health and wellness, just kind of on that front, um, it, it, health and wellness kind of takes up a lot of bandwidth in our, in our lives. We, the series that you guys have been in, and I feel kind of weird telling you guys the, what preaching series you guys have been doing, <laughs> but, but it's partially so that you guys know that I'm in the loop. But this, the preaching series that you guys have been in has been focusing on how the gospel relates to various aspects of our lives, whether it's um, education, work, um, I don't know, marriage, relationships, things like just kind of key areas of your lives. Health and wellness, is, I think, is something that we think about a lot, that kind of, without even realizing it, we're very aware of like, how it affects our lives because we're physical people, we're physical beings. Now, um, this is something that is important to me. I, I've always tried to be healthy. I've always tried to look after myself. Um, I've tried to eat my vegetables and do my exercises and all that sort of thing. Um, about four years ago, though, um, I was struck suddenly with a, an illness, a severe form of vasculitis that um, really kind of ravaged my body um, to a point that the doctors were saying, like, you may not make it. This is, this is looking pretty bad. And I guess the reason I'm sharing that with you, I, I'm a lot better now, but it's just as by way of a disclaimer. Um, like, I, I am better now, but my track record with health is not very good, so I don't know why Simon asked me to preach about this. Um, <laughs> So if, if, I, if, I don't, if I go wrong and it doesn't, don't make any sense, it's, it's, it's because of that. Um, it's, uh, I, I have an excuse. Um, but yeah, so seriously though, this is something that has impacted my life in, in a very personal way. Um, having been that ill, having experienced um, the, the nearness of death, um, it's been a time where I've had to lean into the gospel. It's been a time where I've had to lean into Jesus in that. And, it's, and it was a time where I saw God work in my life and in the life of my family in miraculous ways at times. And so this is something that's, that's incredibly important to me. You guys might not all have experienced something like that. You, you might know somebody who's been sick, um, you might have been through suffering in, in some other way. But I, I kind of want to start in a place that uh, is, is, is common to all of us. And I think all of us have, have been to the doctor at some point in our lives. And, you know, 
whether it's something small or something a bigger issue, we, we've all had this common experience of having to go to the doctor and sit in the doctor's office. And what does the doctor do when you, when you sit down? The, the doctor starts examining your, your symptoms, right? So the doctors, doctors are really good at asking questions, and they start asking a lot of questions, and they say, well, you know, what, what is it that you're feeling? What is it, you know, what's the problem? And then you start telling the doctor, and the doctor takes those things and kind of makes an analysis of it. So, I mean, I had this experience last night where we got home, we had this, like, family reunion, I got home and was unpacking the car, and I, I knocked my shin, and um, the... It wasn't, it wasn't very bad, it was just like the tri camera tripod just lightly knocked my shin. But it happened to be on the point where the um, uh, tibial vein crosses over the bone. And you know like when you're riding a bicycle and you hit a, hit a stone and you get a, um, a pinch flat, like makes a hole, that happened to my vein. So I ended up with this hematoma on my shin last night, and it's like this big lump of blood on my shin. And I go to the doctor, and I, I'm like, man, you know, I bumped my shin, and the, the doctor starts asking me all these questions about it, and I was like getting kind of frustrated, because I was like, you can look at what's going on, like I know about as much as you do, but she was asking a lot of questions. And sometimes, sometimes it's like that with like, with symptomatic things, it's like you can, doctors can dig and dig and dig, and feels like, man, where's this going? But the doctor had good reason to do that, because she really wanted to kind of understand that there wasn't any other complication involved, and she was doing tests and stuff that, you know. So it's kind of fitting, having had that experience last night and preaching this morning. But when we go to the doctor, and the doctor's looking for symptoms, the doctor's looking for, like, what's, what's behind? The, the symptoms. And the, the principle is, like, the further back you can go in, in the line of cause and effect, the more effective you can be at dealing with the actual problem. So when it comes to, to disease, like, and we, we, we have a symptom, and we can or symptoms, and we can identify, like, okay, this is the disease that's caused those symptoms. The, the further question that's raised is, like, what if there's what if there's another cause behind the disease? What if, what if we can go further back to like one step behind the disease? What is it that's caused the disease in the first place? And I know that like in health and wellness psychology, there's like preventative medicine, like, yeah, you've got to do everything that you can to stop disease. But what I'm talking about is like, why does such a thing as disease even exist in the first place? Like, why is it that we do, where well, we can get sick, like, is, is there something behind that? And I would argue that there really is, that it does point to a deeper problem. And I would argue that when we're, able to when we're able to answer that question, it puts us in a position to be able to really understand and appreciate the gospel. You see, the gospel is, is an, like really an answer to that question. Um, we, we all recognize that there's brokenness in this world. And, and part of that brokenness manifests itself as disease. Um, sometimes it manifests itself in other ways. Sometimes it manifests itself in relational discord. Sometimes it manifests itself in uh, political strife. Sometimes it manifests itself in 
uh, in hatred, anger, things that are within us, you know, emotions and, and that sort of thing. Really, the Bible has a word for that. It has a, a word for, for that state, and the word is sin. And what sin tells us is that you, when we encounter sin in this life, or we encounter the effects of sin, we, we're able to, to put ourselves in a place where we recognize that the world is not the way it was intended to be. I think whether, we, whether you're a believer or not, whether you, you put your faith in Jesus or not, I think that's something that can be universally agreed on. I think if, when people look at a child who's been diagnosed with cancer, or you, you know somebody who's uh, got a congenital condition, you know, or something like that, and you, you look at that and you look at what it does to their body and you look at the effects that it has on them and the people around them, we inherently know that that is wrong. There's something wrong about that. God, when he created the world, he, he created the world right. Um, there's, there's a righteousness to the way that the world was created. When, when God created Adam and Eve, um, the Bible says it was good, um, and they were, they were in perfect communion with God. They had perfect relationship with God, and, and that's a, a beautiful thing. Like, I, I think as, as sinful, broken people, we we're not always able to fully comprehend what that would have meant, but there's something in us that yearns for that. There's something, something in that that yearns to be able to get beyond brokenness, to get beyond suffering to get beyond the things that, that cause discord in, in the world. Really, it's a quest to get beyond sin. And, and the way that that came in is we know the story of Adam and Eve, and they were, they were placed in the garden, they were in perfect communion with God, but Adam sinned and he ate of the fruit of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. They had full license to, to eat from the tree of life. They could have... They could eat from the tree of life. They couldn't eat from the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said to them, you do that, you're going to bring a curse upon yourself. And, and that's exactly what happened. And so the, the curse was upon us. There's, within us, there's an inherent brokenness. I think each one of us feels that at times. Um, but it, it extends to creation. Like within the physicalness of creation, it affects our bodies. And so, really, that is, is the root of, of disease. Um, Paul says in the book of Romans, sin entered the world through one man, and he's talking about Adam. He says, death entered through sin. And so, sin is responsible for death, and death manifests itself at the early stages, is deterioration of our bodies, of, you know. And so, we try to fight against that. We try to fight against that by, by stewarding our bodies well, we, we want to be good stewards of our bodies. We try to fight against deterioration. It's been like a quest of man like for the longest time, looking for the fountain of youth, you know, try to defy the effects of aging, open any beauty magazine. This is like at the, the heart of, you know, humanity's like interest. It's like we want to be, we want to be healthy. We want to have longevity. Um, we want to radiate 
beauty and attractiveness and all that, that sort of thing, we recognize that our bodies are just de deteriorating in some ways. And so I know that it's, it's not a biblical term. It's not something that um, theologians necessarily talk about. But I want to contrast righteousness with, with wrongsciousness. Because um, I think, it, I think it, it helps us kind of... What I've just described is really is it's sin, but it's like another, another word, a way to understand sin is, is wrongsciousness. It's, it's just things are not totally right. And so man's quest has been to like overcome wrongsciousness in, in various ways. We try to overcome sin. We look to laws. We look to rules. We try to like put things in place. But really, we, we're fighting a losing battle when it comes to that. Like we can't fight... It, we can't fight that in our own strength forever. And really, the gospel story, the gospel story is the story of God's stubborn faithfulness towards his people. And you read the Old Testament, you, you read how like he's, God established these ways for his people to be righteous, but they just they continue to fail. And, and, and yet God was, was merciful, he's compassionate. And God kept, his, his long-suffering kept, just inviting them back into relationship, inviting them back to repent. And that's the gospel story. The gospel story is God opening up his arms to us and saying, you know, come into right relationship with me. Come into, back into my goodness, back into my mercy. But the problem is like we are, we are stained by sin. God knew that he would need to make a way for us to overcome that. And so the, that's the fulfillment of that, the fulfillment of righteousness is really embodied in who Jesus is. Um, and, and that's like at the core of our, of our faith, of our belief as Christians. That's something that Christians worldwide, like whether there's you know, doctrinal differences in various ways, everybody can agree on the fact that there's, there's a brokenness and it needs to be Addressed, and the way that God addressed that was through Jesus. And Paul summarizes the the gospel in First Corinthians 15. He says, "This this is the gospel that I preached to you guys, that you guys heard, that you're walking in, that you're being saved by." And he summarizes it like this: First Corinthians 15. He says, "For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance." And he's saying, "So this is the most important thing. There might be." There might be symptoms, other symptoms that are looking at, but we don't want to be distracted by those things. We want to get back to the core, the core thing. He says, the thing of most importance is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so he points back to the Old Testament. He says, like, this thing was recognized and was like people saw it, they could see the problem, and God spoke the solution, and, and God brought the solution. The solution was man. The solution was Jesus, Jesus Christ. And, it, and Jesus came, and he, he died for us. He was buried. He rose again. And so there's three things, that, three points out of Paul's summary that I want to draw on. And I think three points that are just helpful for us in framing our understanding of Suffering, understanding of disease, understanding of how it relates to our physical bodies today. And those three things is, is that Jesus is the Christ. The second thing is he died for our sins. And the third thing is that he was buried and he rose again. 
So Jesus is the Christ. And what does that mean, really, that Jesus is the Christ? Well, Christ is just the Greek word that means king. And it, it kind of goes back to a Hebrew idea, this notion um, that in, in our failures, as God has endured with the nation of Israel, um, he, part of his promise to save them was this promise of a Messiah. And the Messiah is, is, is a word that uh, means king as well, and so it was translated Christ, Christo, Christos in, in the New Testament to the, into the Greek, and so that's the word that we've adopted, Jesus Christ. And, it, and so it's pointing back to Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophecies. It's pointing back to Jesus. Like in, in 1 Corinthians 15, like Paul repeats over again, he says, like, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. He's the fulfillment of this promise. And so it points to, to Jesus as the solution. And, and these the prophecies are really fascinating. And when you start reading them, you start seeing like how the character of Jesus is expressed through the, the prophecies and how Jesus fulfilled those things. Jeremiah 23 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. And I will raise up for David a righteous branch. So he's really pointing to David as a, as, a, as a king of note. And he says, like, in the line of David, in, in the same way that David was a great king of Israel, there'll be a king who's even, even greater. And he will reign as king, and he will act wisely, and he will do justice. He will do righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely and this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. And so Jeremiah is really pointing to the fact that, man, there, there, is, there is righteousness or there's sin in, in, in the people and it needs to be dealt with. And there's this king that's going to come and he's going to embody righteousness. Isaiah picks up the same theme. He says, he will come and save you. So this, he's a savior. And he says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap up like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. And so Isaiah is pointing to this, and he's saying, he's going to be a righteous king, and, and there's going to be healing. There's going to be healing involved in this process. So, like one of the side effects of him coming and bringing righteousness is that it's going, to bring, it's going to bring healing. The deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk. These are like physical ailments that, that would plague people during, at, that, at that time. And he's saying these are things that this king of righteousness is going to come and he's going to solve these things. In Malachi 4, 2, it's just so beautiful. It says, But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And so he's saying this new dawn, a new era will come, a new time will come where this, the sun will rise and its rays are going to bring healing. And he's really saying like this era, this, it's going to be widespread. The, the changes that are going to come, the healing that's going to come, is, is widespread. And what is the healing? It's, it's a healing from, from right to wrong. He describes this new day that dawns as a sun of righteousness that rises. 
And so, without belaboring the point, along comes Jesus. So this is prophesied, 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 and, and, and we get the sense that there's going to be a physical healing related to, um, to the Messiah, and Jesus comes along, and Jesus' ministry is introduced in Matthew 4, 23, and says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. And so it's amazing to see that Jesus comes, and Jesus, this is one of the ways that Jesus manifests himself as the embodiment of righteousness, the Lord, our righteousness. It's, it's not the only way, but it's one of the ways that, that Jesus affirms himself as the Messiah. The implications of this, if we can trust the fact that Jesus healed people and we, we trust the fact that he's fulfilled Old Testament scriptures, that as the king, he's, he's not just an earthly king. This is, he's the divine king who's able to make all wrong right. Not just in a moment for a time, but the eternal destinies of people are able to change in the, in the face of the fact that Jesus came and, and lived a perfect life. Physical healing is, is something that if Jesus is the king, we can contend for, we can pray for, we can trust Jesus for. And so another implication is that we should be praying for one another for healing. We should be praying to God for healing when, when we're sick. It's okay to pray for healing. I think sometimes we, we, we encounter sickness, we encounter hurt and we, we just resign ourselves to the fact that, oh, this is, this is kind of part of life. And sometimes we just resign ourselves to, well, God probably wants me to suffer faithfully through this. And sometimes that's true, but, but that doesn't negate the fact that Jesus is able to heal. And at times in his sovereignty and his, by his sovereign will, he does choose to do that. And in, in, in calling out to him for, for healing, we, we acknowledge the fact, it's a way of us acknowledging the fact that Jesus is able, that he is sovereign, and that in itself becomes an act of worship. I know when I was, when I was sick, when I was really, really sick, there were people all over the world who were praying for me, um, largely because we have family in America, and Rebecca's mom posted it really broadly on Facebook. Um, it's amazing Facebook just kind of you know, creates these threads. But really, there were people all over praying for me, for my healing. And at the time, I, I, there were times where I, I came to God and, and said to him, Lord, I know, I know with everything in me that you can heal me in a moment. I know that... You, you know, you could heal me right now and I could stand up and walk out of this hospital room. Like, why haven't you done that yet? <laughs> and, 
And I, I, would, wrestle, I would wrestle with that. And not in a, not in a um, at least I, I don't feel like I dishonored God. But in that process, it was a process of God making himself known to me even stronger. And, and, and we, didn't, we didn't see healing immediately, but certainly we've seen miraculous healing along the way. And so it was something that we were able to praise God for um, and was able, something that we were able to continue to trust God for, not just in a moment for it's not just like a drive-through, McDonald's drive-through healing moment, but a healing that would last for eternity. The second, the second thing, the second gospel point that Paul brings up, so it's Jesus is, is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah. The second thing is Jesus died for our sins. And so this is really kind of, it's, it's, it's almost... I hazard to say that it's almost a cliche when, when we speak about the gospel to say, oh, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. And we, we teach kids, I mean, kids' ministry, we like try to teach kids to understand that from an early age. Um, but the, the thing about illness and disease is it brings that statement really close to home when we realize that, that sin is not just a matter of, we don't just define sin as like, the things that I may or may not have done wrong throughout the day, I could have maybe spoken to my wife more kindly, I could have, um, you know, I don't know, I, I should have done more to go and reach people, or whatever. Whatever we, you might like, end your day with, you know, thinking, oh man, that could have gone better. Like, and it's not just about isolated events of doing things wrong. Sin, like I said, is a state. And when we, when, we, when we understand that Jesus dying for our sins brings it into kind of a different light. It, bring, it brings it into Jesus has died for the seen and the unseen, the things that like, um, are at work, whether it's spiritual forces, whether it's the, the flesh, Jesus is at work within us, overcoming those things as we give ourselves to him, as we, as we acknowledge the fact that he died for our sins. Isaiah 53 kind of describes it beautifully, the cross moment. And this is something that was written hundreds of years before Jesus went to the cross and speaks of Jesus and says he was despised. He was rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so again, Isaiah just makes this incredible link between healing and between the resolution of all that's wrong through the death of Jesus on the cross. In going to the cross, Jesus took with him all of, all of that that was wrong. Our sins separate us from God. And, and when... When Jesus came to step into the brokenness of humanity, he really came to restore that 
that rift. Um, John Stott has an amazing quote about how that in itself is something that ministers to us. When, when you find yourself in a place of pain, when you find yourself in a place of suffering, there's an amazing comfort in knowing that you serve a God who is not distant or aloof from suffering, that Jesus is able to, in a very real way, relate to the suffering that we go through. John Stott says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. And so this seems ridiculous to, to people outside of the faith, to people who, who are still trying to find a solution to the wrong, a solution to the brokenness in a humanistic way, the cross just seems ludicrous. He says, in the real world of pain, how, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha. His, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I have to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wretched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his humanity and his immunity, he laid aside his immunity, sorry, to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings became more manageable in the light of this. There's still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a god has wounds, but thou alone. It's also been said that Jesus' death on the cross is like God's ultimate act of protest against all that's wrong in this world. His death on the cross just flies in the face of the brokenness of this world. And in a paradoxical twist, the very brokenness that put Jesus on the cross, the sin in man that put him there, is the, is the very thing that was resolved through his death there. And so there's this weird paradox that we live out as Christians when we come to a place where we acknowledge Jesus, when we acknowledge that cross moment when we, and we bring our sins to him and we find forgiveness in him, in that the, even the brokenness in our lives, even those moments in our lives that, that where sin still uh, has effects on us, where the consequences of sin is still felt, God is able to work through that is able to turn those things around, turn it against itself, 
and turn it for good. And that's, that's really, Romans 8 is an amazing passage. Um, Romans 8 speaks about how, Paul speaks about how the whole of creation is yearning for this day that it's going to be restored to God. And it speaks about how the, it's, creation is waiting for this day that the sons of God will be presented. And, and, and really what he's saying is we're, we are the sons of God. We are, this, we are restored in status before God. But a day will come where that's going to find full fulfillment. But in this time, he goes on to say um, that God causes all things. This is towards the end of Romans 8. He says, well, because of all of these things, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, this I know is like, it's kind of a fridge magnet verse. It's one of those verses that like we can pull out and like very easily text message to our friends when they're going through a hard time and they're broken up with their girlfriend or don't worry, God works for the good, you know, for those who love him. But really, like this is, this, like in the context of Romans 8, when it's talking about like the righteousness of God and how us coming to him, receiving his salvation through death on the cross, receiving forgiveness in him, suddenly everything that has worked against us in our lives is able to work towards our sanctification, is able to work towards the glorification of God. And we don't, it's not to say that we see, necessarily see sudden healing, that we necessarily see um, like all our problems solved, but God starts, the tables are turned against sin and everything starts working in a different way. God starts working those things out. God starts fitting together righteousness in our lives. Um, for me personally, um, part of my experience of having been sick is I, I can't see all the ways in which God worked through it. I know that God refined my character through, through that in many ways, and I, 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 can't, I can't even begin to scratch the surface of that. Um, one of the other ways that God worked through it, and it's kind of echoed in Paul's words to the Galatians. Paul speaks to the Galatians. He says, you know that it was because of a body, bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. And so even Paul suffered with, with illness. And, and he says, yeah, the illness put me in a position to be able to minister to you guys. So we don't know if he was... He might have been sick and he needed to like, stop there and take a rest and, and in his being there was able to preach to them, minister to them. When I was in hospital, I kind of found myself in a similar situation where the reality of my salvation was just so tangible because I was confronted with death and I was like, man, like I, I don't think I've ever had such a peace about my salvation. There's such an incredible sense of the beauty of salvation. And I found myself in, this, in a general ward because the doctors didn't really know what was wrong with me at that stage. And I was in this general ward. 
And it's, it's a general ward, so basically when people are admitted, they go in there, and they're in there for like sometimes a few hours and sometimes for a couple of days before they move on to a surgical ward or they diagnose what's wrong, they might move on to oncology ward or to like the cardiac ward or whatever. But I'm in this general ward, and it's eight beds in there, and every time they brought a new person in, I mean, that kind of became my home because I was there for months in a ward that really you're supposed to be in for like days at a time. And so it kind of became my, my lounge and people would come in and I'd, I'd kind of host them and I'd be all foggy from the medication and everything, and pain medication. I'd be like, hey man, it's like, welcome, it's good to have you here. <laughs> and I was able to kind of build rapport with these people and I, one of the things that I realized is people who ended up in that ward very seldom planned, never planned to be there. And so when people came in, they, they, often, they, they pretty much never had earpieces for the entertainment thing. So they'd come in and then for two days watch TV without any sound. Um, so I went, there was a, a little shop there and I'd go and buy for a dollar a little set of earphones and that became my way of like breaking the ice with people. And and at least half of those people, we, in conversation, got to a point where they're in this point of crisis and they're asking the big questions about the meaning of life. What is the meaning of this? Why am I here? Why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? And, it, and in those, those moments, I was, able to, I was able to say, this is the way I've found an answer to these questions. And it was just, I, I, we, I was a pastor, leading a church, uh, similar to this, and I, I, was, I was having these moments where I was able to share the gospel with, I'd, I'd never shared the gospel with so many unbelievers before in my life. And it, it wasn't because I, I had a platform, it wasn't because I was like had the spotlight on me in any way, but it was because I was sick. It was because God had like revealed Himself to me in a way that I'd never experienced before. And so there's the the cross is there's a realness in that. There's this kind of the rawness and the brokenness of life brings opportunity for us to speak about the rawness and, and the brokenness that Jesus experienced and the rightness that that brings, his embodiment of righteousness through that. The final thing is that Jesus was buried and he rose again. And I think really what this speaks into, and just in closing, is that we don't live just for a moment now. The beauty of the gospel is that it's, a, if the gospel is the story of God's, like, stubborn faithfulness towards us. I think that's something that all of us can appreciate. All of us can appreciate the fact that the gospel story continues, and even today, in each of your lives, there's an opportunity for that story to find context. And the story hasn't ended yet, and Jesus, he died, he rose again, and in this kind of prototype, new creation, heavenly body, that's able to walk through walls and, and where the scars of this world were still 
evident, but no longer had effect on him and testified to God's healing power. And so he's in this resurrected body and, and we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father today, interceding on our behalf. And that's a reality for you guys as you live and you walk, out, you walk out of here. Jesus is a reality for us today. The gospel story is a reality for us today. And eternity starts now. Eternity isn't just something that happens when you die. We're already in eternity and so for, for you guys, like whether you're sick or not, whether, you know, whether, this, whether suffering is a reality for you now, right now or not, you're, you're on a timeline and, and that timeline is, is leading somewhere. And with Jesus, that timeline leads to where Jesus went. The timeline leads to where Jesus is right now. And it, it goes into eternity. The, the, the timeline really is like, the timeline tells us that we're kind of a blip on the radar. When Paul, again in Romans, when he says that, when, um, when he starts with this thing of like creation being renewed, and I, I'd, I'd encourage you guys to go and read Romans 8. Um, we don't have time to read through it today. But he says, when I consider the, the sufferings of this, this present time, it's, it's not worth comparing with the glory that's, that's going to be revealed to us. When I was sick, I, I, just, I really had the sense of like how short life was. Um, Paul also says in 2 Corinthians, like these afflictions are light and momentary. And when he talks about momentary, he's talking about a lifetime. He's, talking, he's, he's not talking about a moment of being sick. He's talking about a lifetime of afflictions, that you, sufferings that you would experience in a lifetime. Um, and Peter says the same thing. He says, like, now, for a little while, he says, we, we may suffer various trials. When he says a little while, again, he's not talking about, like, oh, you know, stumped my toe or knocked my shin and I've got a hematoma, woe is me. He's talking about, like, your life. There, there's a, the collective sufferings of a lifetime are just are just a little while. James describes the similar thing as a vapor. Like, our lives are short. That's, that's what I'm trying to say, is our lives are short. The Bible says it in a lot of different ways. But this, this, this life is momentary. And I would pray that, like, whether we're suffering or whether we're not suffering, that we would recognize that the best shot that we have in this life is to give ourselves fully to the gospel. Give ourselves fully to, to the Lord. Give ourselves fully to one another. And recognize that pain and suffering, is like we get to partner with God now in addressing brokenness, in addressing pain, in addressing suffering, in bringing God's comfort and bringing God's healing in a way that we will not be able to do in eternity. When we, when, when we cross the veil on the other side of death, there's something that we just won't have the opportunity to do anymore because there will be no brokenness there. We'll be able to praise God for what he's done. But 
right now, this is an opportunity for us. And so I want to invite you guys um, to not just be looking at the symptom, but be looking at the problem behind the symptom. And beyond that, not looking to the things of this world, but looking to Jesus, who's able to address those things perfectly. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for your immense love toward us, Lord God. We thank you that you do bring comfort, Lord, uh, when, when we're facing trials, Lord God, that you, bring, that you address pain and suffering in a way that uh, no drug can, Lord, no, um, no escape can. Lord God, you, you have felt suffering with us, Lord. And Father God, I pray that as, as we step into the gospel, as we allow it to transform our lives, Lord God, that the rightness of who you are, Lord, your righteousness would start to reveal itself even in the worst, Lord God even in the most broken circumstances of our lives, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself as righteous in those things. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who has experienced brokenness or is experiencing brokenness, Lord. Lord, I pray for the scars that that may, may be present, Lord God, through that, and the, the hurt that may be, the pain that may be there. Lord, I pray for, for each one of those people, Lord, that you would intervene in that, in your sovereignty, in, in your power. Lord, I pray for healing. Um, Lord, I do pray for supernatural healing. Lord, I pray for instances of healing in our midst, Lord God, that would point to you, point to your glory, point people to not just your physical healing, but Lord, your ability to heal people's souls, Lord. And so we bring ourselves to you, Lord God. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. And we put ourselves in your strong and your mighty hands, Lord. Amen.